I'm here today with Dante Stewart. Dante is a speaker and writer whose work in the areas of race, religion, and politics has been featured on CNN and in the Washington Post, Christianity Today, Sojourners, The Witness, A Black Christian Collective, Comet, and elsewhere. He received his BA in sociology from Clemson University and is currently studying at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. His new book, Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle, releases next week from Convergent Books, an imprint of Penguin Random House. So Dante, thanks so much for joining us and uh, many congratulations on this first book. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. I'm excited to be with you. Excited. Well, same, same here. I think there's a lot of folks that are really you know, looking forward to this. Um, I've had a chance to read it and I just loved it. Um, you know, very open and honest and, you know, from mm -hmm. the heart and uh, tells a compelling story. So uh, I think a lot of folks will really see it that way. Mm. Well, thank um, you. Thank you, brother. Well, before we get into the book, you know, tell us a little bit more for people not familiar with you, you know, just about your background and the other work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's crazy, Brian, is like, this is a question I've been getting like continually over and over. I guess this was happening. What happens when you're a newbie? Yeah. Uh, or, or whatnot. It reminds me of like the big way in when me and my boy are walking up to campus. You know, we better go to the big way in. I got my I got my locals on uh, that I write about. And so, like, I have to now I got to reintroduce myself continually to people. But uh, I'm Dante Stewart. Uh, I live currently in Augusta, Georgia, uh, where I am on um, uh, I'm on staff at the Tabernacle, the historic Tabernacle Baptist Church. So I'm a minister. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, of two beautiful children. Uh, me and my wife have been married now seven years. Uh, we both met at Clemson. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, what else? Uh, I'm a writer. As many people know, you know, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm a writer. Uh, I, I love, I, I love writing. So it's, it's, it's not just simply that I, that I, you know, write, you know, because it's, it brings me things, but I legitimately like love writing. I love, you know, something that Jason Reynolds uh, just was recently talking about. There's nothing like the feeling of completion, of, of imagining mm, something, mm. putting it out, putting it on paper and then completing it. Sometimes it takes you, you know, one day. Sometimes it takes you a few hours. Sometimes it takes you months and, or maybe years to complete it. But there's nothing like being able to have something that is yours <laughs> on the page that you've completed. So I'm an author right now uh, or, or whatnot. And yeah, I'm a student at Emory and my my background, my, my kind of research area right now uh, is on black text theory and theology. And I'll be doing my thesis on James Baldwin. Uh, mm. Many people who who follow me on social media yeah. uh, or, or, or who are reading the book or have read the book will know that, you know, James Baldwin has been so formative uh, in my own kind of thinking, um, along with so many other uh, people. Uh, but 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 James Baldwin has left an indelible stamp uh, on my own kind of imagination uh, uh, or, or whatnot. And I'm from the South. I'm from South Carolina. I'm from the Black Rural South, uh, in between St. Matthew, South Carolina, Swansea, South Carolina, and Sandy Run. Uh, church boy, growing up in the church, and now I'm still stuck in the church, uh, and gladly so. And that was so, that was yes, your nickname, yeah. right? Yeah, church yeah, boy was your I nickname. Never forget it. Yeah, I never forget it. And some of my boys, even to this day. Like some of my boys still don't let me, you know, you know, let me live it down or something. And so it's, in a sense, it was prophetic because, you know, years later, I'm actually a minister, you know, years later, I'm actually in the church and involved in, you know, theology and things like that. And so, yeah, it's a nickname, you know, that I like. It's, it's cool. It's cool. I ain't got no problems with it. 
<laughs> good, good, good. Well, um, if I could, I'd like to read a couple of the blurbs that other people have written about your book to give people a flavor of, you know, how oh, it's oh, yeah. received. <laughs> okay. um, That's cool. Yeah, I know. Jamar Tisby says, arresting pros, an emotional meditation on race, religion, and nation. In Stewart's boldly revealing stories of love, pain, and renewal, we find our own. And Kristen Kobes Dumay says, a magnificent debut. If you read one book this year, make it this one. So that's pretty powerful. <laughs> hey, that is. That is. I was great. I was grateful with that. I was kind of shook when, when I started getting my endorsements back in. I was like real shook because I was like, you know, some of my endorsers, uh, funny story, you know, some of my endorsers, I was like, you know, hey, this book is like overtly religious. So like, hey, if you you know, if you ain't comfortable with that, then, you know, you're good. You ain't got to really, you know, you, ain't, you, you know, you ain't really got to, you know, read it and things like that. I want to be mindful of kind of your space that you're in uh, and things like that. Um, but also, you know, when you start asking people for endorsements, I mean, that's a courageous process yeah. uh, to, to ask for endorsers, to ask them to read your book, to critically engage it um, and, and, and to hopefully like it enough to offer some words for it. Um, and so I was kind of, yeah, I was, when they started coming in, bro, I was shook, bro. No lie. <laughs> and be, before yeah. we started the recording, you were mentioning that Christy Adams, who we just recently interviewed was like yeah. kind of helpful with you developing your book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Christy, Christy is my sister. That's, that's family. Like Christy is family. Uh, you know, so much of who I am as a writer is a reflection of just our friendship and, and the ways in which like Christy always made herself available to read whatever, mm. you know, even when I was going through my book proposal process and I was telling you earlier, you know, that, that like, you know, um, that, that when I released my devotion in 2019, that Christy, I mean, she was, she was like reading like early stuff from it and giving me feedback on it. And it's like, yo, I really like it and things like that. And I was like, you know, you should have one of your students read it and see what they say. Cause that's who I, like, I want, I want students to like it, you know, sure, I want us to like sure. it, you know, who are adults. You know, but I also want to write something that students like as well, um, just because I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly influenced by just the work of uh, Jason Reynolds um, uh, in, in that in that regard um, uh, uh, or whatnot of, of, of really, you know, giving young people the pen and allowing them to tell their story. And so trying to write something that they can, you know, relate with that's relevant to them. And so Chrissy would do that, you know, and, and it was good, you know, and things like that. But then while I was going through my book proposal process. I'd be like texting Christy, be like, yo, you like this? Uh, maybe, maybe not, uh, things like that. And she would she would kind of put me on game about like the process and things like that. And so, like, yeah, Christy is family. She is fam. She is fam. She big sister for real, though. Well, um, you know, you're a role model. And a lot of things that you talk about in that book are things that a lot of other kids are going to go through. So, yeah. you know, I think it'll be really helpful for them. Yeah, I hope. I hope. No lie. I really do hope. Like, especially that section uh, on wound, you know, when I was talking uh, with my student, you know, I, I even as I was approaching writing my book, you know, I didn't, you know, I had to rewrite so many things, you know, in that process of like revisions and things like that. And so there were things that that that, that my editor, Ashley, we talked about and was like, yo, yeah, this would work. This may not work and things like that. And And one of the things I really wanted to write on was that like I really like I wanted to first and foremost write a black book like I wanted my book 
to be a book that that will be like it will be hard. Like I wanted to write a book that would be hard to characterize as like simply anti-racist text um, in a sense of like educating white people. So like teaching white people how to be less racist, you know, and more moral and loving and things like that. And so I wanted to write something that was first and foremost a black text that took our lives seriously. So I'm incredibly informed by Terry Ann Williamson, uh, who wrote uh, the incredible book, Scandamile is My Name. Uh, I think it was like Black Feminist Practice and Black Social Life and the Making of Black Social Life. And one of the things she 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 entitled her introduction, one of the things that stuck out was the, the title of her introduction, uh, which was titled Back to Living Again. Hmm. Uh, and one of the things that she brought up is she she was like, you know, offering a critique for uh, Afro, uh, kind of a critique, but, you know, a broadening maybe. I would say a broadening, it wasn't necessarily a critique, but it was, uh, but a broadening in the sense of Afro-pessimism and things like that, you know, regarding, you know, ideas of, you know, social death and when it comes to, so, you know, Black studies and and things like that and challenging notions of, you know, uh, you know, regarding Black life and, and, and how we make a life and, 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 and how we live life beyond, you know, the logics and the litmus of, of whiteness and white supremacy. And one of the things she brought up in, in this in this introduction called back to living again is that, you know, she said that our black lives, the way we make the world, our world making as black people is as much a starting point as any other place. And for me as a writer, you know, I wanted to take seriously that reality, particularly about the lives of young black people. I'm a young black person. I'm only 29. You know, I ain't, I ain't, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not seasoned just yet, you know, and I think, and I think there is something to be said about, you know, the courage and the willingness to be 29 and, and the audacity to write a memoir at 29. Like, you know, I, when, when, when they came out with my, like, you know, the genre of your book uh, and, and, and they, they genreed my book and it said memoir. And I was like, what kind of audacity does a 29 year old have writing a memoir? Like you ain't like my grandma said, you ain't lived enough yet. You ain't lived enough. Uh, <laughs> whatnot. But like, I feel like, I feel like, you know, that, that I wanted to write something that took seriously uh, young black people's lives and, 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 and I would be a writer that people will walk away and say like, yo, like, like he really, he really wrote in ways he thought of in ways that like, that was something that I wanted to read. And it very much for me, you know, this book is something I would have wanted to read in so many of those formative moments that I wish I would have had. Uh, but like they say, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you know you can't really change it. Well, you know, I think a lot of white people are going to benefit from it too, honestly, because they need to hear. Oh, yeah, I think so. They yeah, need I to hear so. your story. Yeah, I think so. You know, and yeah. what what people like you've gone through. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing. Like even when I was going through like the process of uh, developing an audience, you know, it's like I use this metaphor a lot. You know, when I was even in meetings with publishers, I was like, you know. Imagine me as a writer throwing a pebble in a pond. You know, I have where I'm aiming and I'm going to hit that that point, you know, but 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 the feeling, the effect of, of that throwing of that pebble is going to reverberate, reverberate outward in concentric circles. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I was writing for young black people, you know, in particular black people in general, but young black people in particular like me. And I felt like, you know, this book will reverberate out. I mean, white people will have sections 
you know, that that they're able to read and 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 be like, wow, like learn and, and things. Yeah, like, yeah. Broaden their frameworks. You know, people who are not Christian will be able to read and be like, yo, I dig that. I mean, people who are teachers uh gonna be able to read read this and be like, yeah, like wow, I resonate with that. People who are preachers. You know, people who in law enforcement, people who professors, people who are writers, you know, people who are activists and on the street, um, people who got kids, uh, young people who feel like they're being stifled. Like I felt like, you know, I wrote a very particular story, uh, a very subjective narrative. But I do think in that subjectivity uh, is a certain type of universality of writing that I think can 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 generate resonance within a broader Mm-hmm. audience of which you know white people i think will be a part of so how did the book come about how did you get started what motivated you to do it because it's yeah. obviously a lot of work you're right bro it is a lot of work uh it's, it's a lot more work than i than i anticipated um and the crazy part is many people don't know this i haven't even shared this you know on on, on any of the interviews i've done leading up to this just yet because what's crazy is like not a lot of people ask me about craft you know, they ask me about content, you know, which I like talking content. I'm cool talking content and things like that. Because um, that's, you know, that's what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about the contents of the book. Uh, but I do think there's something to be said about like crafting and things like that. And I don't know if, and I'm thank you for asking that about how that book came to be. Um, and so much of it came out of, you know, the writing that I was already doing, you know. Um, you know, I was already writing from like 2016. Um, but I mean, so much of my writing began to change. Uh, I began to get better as a writer, uh, get better as a reader, uh, I get better frameworks for interpreting my experience and talking about theology and talking about the country and reading black literature and meeting writers and things like that. And, you know, living, uh, whatnot and talking with my wife and my friends, you know, so, so much things was working on kind of broadening my framework of understanding uh, and kind of, you know, helping me evolve, you know, as a person, as a preacher, as a thinker, as a writer, um, you know, but, but I did not anticipate the hard work. Many people don't know this. I wrote, I wrote my book while going to school full time. Mm, really? I, I revised my book while going to school. full time, <laughs> And then even in the process, I got COVID in the process last oh, year. Oh my. And yeah, and it threw off it threw off my process. And so on that hard work part, like it it that that it really it really took it out of me. And, mm. and to write memoir is a very hard genre to write in because like you not only do you have to have good content and range, you know, and this is one of the criticisms, you know, I, I, that I that I love that one one of my favorite book people had of my book. You know, I, 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 I was like, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Cause I felt that when I was writing, when I was reading my audio book, it's like, you know, that, that, that the, the sort of type of, you know, when it comes to metaphors and imageries and symbolism and crafting, you know, a sort of redundancy, hmm. you know, and, 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 and I felt that. And I, and as a writer, I want to get better at that of, you know, having the writerly range, you know, it takes a lot of range to write a memoir. But you, it doesn't just take range. Like you got to craft that narrative, like real tight and very creative, you know, a very compelling narrative, a very vulnerable and honest narrative and things like that. And so, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was hard work uh, <laughs> or whatnot. And, and it just, and in some sense, you know, the book happened through just practice and practice and practice and practice. So it grew out of so much of, 
essays that I had wrote in the past, essays that I was working on that never got released, that got rejected. I mean, there were sections in this book that 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 got rejected by that got rejected by publications um, uh, or whatnot that needed work. I need, I need to work. I need to work and I need to get better uh, as a writer and as, as a thinker and, and put it in, you know, narrative and coherent frameworks. And so it kind of it, it really grew out of so much of my anger and, and failure and, and, and fears and insecurities, but also it grew out of my courage and my, my, my potential. I grew out of my own thinking and reading and things like that. And that probably, you know, that's probably how I would think about how Shot in the Fire came to be. Well, in the book, you write that it was as freeing as it was fear-inducing to write the yes. book. Yes, so talk about that a little bit, you kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when you talk about memoir, once again, back, back to memoir as a genre, it is, it is a very vulnerable process. Um, and, and I'm even nervous to this day. Like mom, I was on the phone with my mom this morning. She kept asking me about the book. I'm like, like, mom, I sent you the book. Like I sent you the PDF. You should have it in your email, you know, and things like that. And I'm like, I'm like, why are you asking me about this book so much? You know, like, like what well, you afraid of? Like, it's a like, I mean, it is a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is. A big Especially deal. for a mom. Uh, yeah, it is a big deal. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. But my mama, one of the type of, my mama, one of the type of people. But also like, you know, all right, let me make sure, let me, let me, let me see what you wrote about, you know, let me make sure, you know, and things like that, make sure you're straight. And so that's probably like, you know, I, kind of my, my fear in some sense, you know, is that I don't, you know, I don't want to write anything, you know, that, 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 that will hurt somebody else. When you talk about writing memoir, bro, you got to write a vulnerable yeah. story. You got to yeah. write an honest story. And I'll never forget reading this in Elizabeth Alexander's text. Um, it was really two texts, well, really three, three texts that shaped how I wrote my book um, and why I wrote it the way I wrote it. Elizabeth Alexander's The Black Interior, um, where, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit, you know, very quickly about how they shape how I wrote my book, especially in response to your question um, about fear um, and, 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 and freeing and freedom. You know, Elizabeth Alexander has a section in her book, The Black Interior, where she talks about writing stories. And she's like, you know, I write the story. I'm the one with the story and I and I write it and I let everybody else deal with it in the process. You know, you you deal with it the way you deal with it. But this story is mine. These are my memories. This is what I remember. And alluding to Toni Morrison and the beautiful ways Toni Morrison talks about memory in that book, uh, in her Tanner lecture, uh, The Sight of Memory. Uh, where she talks about black autobiography, and if people haven't read that, it's just a brilliant, 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 um, a brilliant, brilliant text that I actually ended up including um, in that in that section on my granddaddy uh, on, on memory. And then Kiese Layman's uh, heavy, uh, an American memoir, which you know he starts off the book. I wanted to write a lie. I wanted to write a lie. I wanted to write a lie. And you see this 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 kind of honest, vulnerable, vulnerable courage of a black man being willing to put his story out in the world to say, you know, I'm giving you something that I don't even know how to deal with. And so like, I knew that I needed to write my book that way, that I needed to, you know, put my story out in the world in ways, you know, that I may not have made sense of just yet mm. and things like that. But then also Jasmine Ward's uh, uh, Men We Reap, which is another memoir and the way that she humanizes her characters. And even though it's memoir, I, I do think that every memoir also has the kind of feelings of a fiction text mm -hmm. when it comes to creating holistic characters, characters that have characters that have flesh and fears and and dreams 
and 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 complexities um, and beauty and cre- creativity who are very human. Um, and so Jasmine really, really helped me think about, okay, how do I write about these characters in my text and even myself in ways that I don't heroize us, but that I humanize us. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you kind of wonder to yourself in the book is how do I be black and Christian and American at the same time? That kind of felt to me like the theme of the overall book. Is that the way you see it too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that is, you know, as a preacher, me, me and my pastor always literally, you know, every week with every uh, text we uh, he preaches uh, that we're working through, we always ask the relevant question. What is the relevant question of the sermon? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as people listen to sermons, you know, that that is a great way to think about how to uh, uh, comprehend, you know, and things like that or comprehend a text. You know, if I read any type of text, I want to ask, you know, what is the relevant question of this text? Whether that's a biblical text, whether that's a piece of literature, uh, whether that's a speech, what is the relevant question? And so I think, you know, that that sits at the heart of the relevant question that I'm asking, asking of myself, um, asking of other people, asking of the country, um, asking oh, of the church. Yeah. Um, you, you know, because, <laughs> you know, nobody nobody in this text go unscathed uh, in a sense, not even myself. Oh, um, yeah. No, you're tough not, on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who haunted no. by that question. Yeah. So, so here's this. Here's one excerpt from the book that I thought was really, you know, compelling, quite frankly. It says white supremacy was not just about terrible American men in white hoods with white crosses. It was also about the terrible ways I learned how to harm black people and be terrible to black people and not listen to black people and not cry over black people and not care about black people and do it in the name of Jesus. I believe that white people were the center of my world. I believe that every other person's value is determined by them. I believe black people must be the cause of our own pain and our own death. So, wow. I mean, number one. And number two, you know, how did you learn, (laughs) I'll use that word, to, to change that view? And how can white people learn from your experience of doing that? Yeah, I'll start with the first question and then I'll go to, I mean, the second question, I'll go to the first question. I, I, I think in some sense, bro, like that, like, I don't even know how to answer that question, you know, about what, you know, what can white people learn? Because I'm like, you know, there, there's been centuries of, you know, opportunities to learn. And I'm like, what have white people not seen that they had an opportunity to learn from and done? and not had an opportunity to learn from. And so like, I don't know what that can teach white people because I mean, at the end of the day, that's just not a person that I was trying to, that's not a demographic that I was trying to help wade through questions. So I wasn't really necessarily considering, you know, what what white people can learn as much as, you know, even when I talk about white supremacy in the book and whiteness, so much of, so much of my, my conversation about white supremacy and whiteness is interior conversation. You know, it's not the way, well, I don't want to act like I'm a novice at this because so much of how I thought about my own stuff is, is so rooted in what other people have said, you know, about race and, and religion and politics and, and black life. Um, but so much of the kind of ways that I was talking about white supremacy and white people was almost reminiscent. I tried to be reminiscent of the ways Baldwin talked about society with his nephew in the fire next time, where he's talking about, you know, 
these people are your long lost brothers. These people, you know, these people, you know, are doing this. This is what they did. This is who they are. This is this, this is that, you know, he's not telling his nephew like, yo, like, you know, he's, he, he, he's, he's not sugarcoating that conversation, but he's talking about that conversation in ways that are familiar uh, to his nephew, um, especially as it relates to how we experience the world of whiteness that has been created and that we have all inherited. Um, and that in some sense, you know, that many people have justified and protected. And so, you know, even, you know, even when I was talking about, you know, white supremacy and whiteness in my experience, I was really thinking about, you know, the question of, you know, what can young black people, what can black people learn, you know, from, from, from this experience um, or, or, or whatnot. And in some sense, I think, I think white people can learn uh, from experiences, but I'm not really into white education because white education has not led to re-education, you know, in some sense, you know, I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's uh, famous quote in Where Do We Go From Here, where he says, you know, that it, frankly, it must be frankly said uh, that, that white people are not putting a similar effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. There's a sense of their superiority that they believe that, that, that the white people of this country believe they have so little to learn. Um, and, and, and I, in some sense, uh, was Martin Luther King simply talking about, uh, as Paulo Freire would say in his book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, was he simply talking about banking uh, type of learning where, you know, you learn some history, you learn some dates, you learn some people, you know, and now you got that information stored into your head or was, or, or was Martin King reminiscent of Freire's uh, conversation of liberationist understanding and humanizing understanding of education as, you know, we want to transform the way life takes form. So I'm not really, you know, in some sense as much uh, concerned with that second question um, in a sense of being able, you know, to answer that in ways that have not been sufficiently answered in the past. Um, you know, and so I'll then move to the first question, you know, what did I learn? How did I change? You know, so much of it is reflective of the kind of self-critical work that's necessary to any type of process of growth. Um, I, through through uh, friendships and, and most of all through my marriage, um, I was able to kind of see myself in ways that I either was afraid to see myself, uh, didn't have the framework to see myself or in ways that I evaded because it was going to cost me too much mm -hmm. um, in, in, in what I was trying to achieve for myself, even, even in some sense, um, even sacrificing my own humanity, sacrificing my own marriage, sacrificing my friendships and, and, and the likes. And so, so much of my evolution uh, and, and understanding is rooted in my relationship with my wife and her being able to, you know, see me and say things to me that other people you know, may have said, you know, behind my back, you know, or, or may have said amongst themselves, um, but but didn't either know how to say it to me, didn't know how we was going to respond. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't always respond in the right way to, to, to critiques of myself. You know, a lot of times my first response, as so many of us, you know, is, you know, to, 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 to fight, you know, to fight that um, and to fight whatever people were saying to me. So like in that in that situation with my friend Michaela. Uh, when Michaela tells me, Stu, you don't have a damn thing to offer black people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my knee-jerk reaction is not to think about that on the way home, but to go home and complain to my wife. My wife <laughs> tell me, you, know, you know, you're always listening to other people when I've been telling you this the whole time. And, 
You know, I, 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 that's so much of the way I've changed, but also, you know, it took a lot of courage to face myself um, and what I had become and what, you know, being in white social spaces and white religious spaces had made me. And even what I made myself because of my investment in mm. those spaces, you know, um, on the one hand, we could say that, you know, those spaces were, were, were alluring, um, but also, you know, we can say that, 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 you know, we oftentimes as, as young black people, and particularly I'm thinking about young black males, um, and even more, I'm thinking about young black males who play sports in college. Um, we oftentimes, you know, being, being in proximity to whiteness uh, uh, represents so much of the acceptance and the acclaim and even, you know, the healing that we seek for ourselves. Uh, and, and, and too often, uh, that healing is 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 laid on the altar, uh, is sacrificed on the altar of our own humanity. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That oftentimes we we believe that we can be healed and celebrated and, and accepted um, in places you know that that we know uh, that struggle uh, to see us as fully human and worthy of of celebration and love and protection. Um, and so you know, it took it took a a, a, a heavy dose of courage. Uh, to face myself. But, you know, as I write about when I started reading more, um, you know, uh, it, it, it led to me it broadening my frameworks and understanding. So I truly believe that literacy and liberation go hand in hand. Yeah, and that's the case. Maybe we could just kind of close up by what would be like the one thing that you would want people to take away from the book? Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think one of the things, you know, that, that first and foremost, you know, uh, this might be a little vain, a little selfish, but, you know, by the time people finish the book, I wanted them to, you know, cite like, like, wow, this dude can write. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was, that was one of my main goals. No lie, bro. Like, I want people to know that I'm a writer. Like, I truly believe, you know, that, you know, that I write myself into that role, uh, into that self-understanding. That's what, you know, if you see my schedule every day, I ask myself, what is the person going to do? Uh, what is the person I want to become going to accomplish today? And, and, and I write down somebody who's healthy and fit, somebody who's a husband and father, I'm, I'm, I'm a, somebody who's a writer, somebody who's a student and a scholar, somebody who's a pastor and a leader. And I list the practices, three practices or three things that I want to accomplish in any given day in those roles. And so for me, you know, I, I truly believe that I want to become a writer, whether somebody believes that I'm a writer or not, or whether, you know, and, you know, everybody judges that differently, you know, how, who they believe to be writers or not. But, you know, by the time people got to the end, I want people to say, you know, like, wow, this is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly written book, a very patient book in a sense of like narrative plot and structure that that like you can feel the worlds that I'm trying to create. So like, I was trying to approach my text as like a fiction text in the sense of as a writer. So like, as the way N.K. Jameson does or the way uh, Robert Jones or uh, um, or Disha Filyar, Maurice Ruffin or Mateo um, or, or, or Hanif Adul-Kib or Jason or Kiese or Kathy Barhong and Viet Tan Nguyen. Like these incredible, incredible, incredible writers, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates and, and, and many others like, the way they build worlds. And I'm even thinking right now, like I've been reading um, Honoré Fanon Jeffers, 
uh, joint, the love songs of, of W.E.B. Du Bois, mm. uh, and just the world building that's inside of that text or something like N.K. Jameson's The City We Became. You know, I wanted to build certain type of worlds within my own text. And I want people to say, you know, like, yo, that dude can write. But then secondly, I think I think I want people to walk away, you know, really realizing, you know, that we black people don't have to be perfect uh, or in performance or in pain to be loved and cherished and for our worlds and our lives to be taken seriously and to be embraced and to be free. And so I wanted to write something that was hella black. Like I wanted the lingo to be black. I wanted the feeling. I wanted the food and the words and the rooms to be hella black. Uh, but I also wanted to write something that was, you know, you know, hella black, but also humbly Christian. Um, I wanted to write something that was theologically astute. Uh, and so I want people to walk away realizing like, yo, not only is this dude a really good up and coming writer, but this dude is a particular type of writer who really loves black people um, and, and, and make black stories as beautiful as they possibly can be. Um, but lastly, you know, what I hope people take away from this text is to press into their own stories with a certain type of honesty and vulnerability and creativity um, that, that we know our stories possess. You know, I, I, I am truly a firm believer, like Toni Morrison say, that, that our lives are already artful. That it's just waiting for us to, to make art with it. You know, our lives are already alive. You know, we 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 are, uh, as, as, as June Jordan uh, would say uh, in her famous poem, Black alive and looking back at you. And so what does it mean to be alive and looking back at another person? Uh, and, and to realize that what that that for me to be looking back at back at you is to say that I see certain things in the world that I have a particular perspective that is sacred and beautiful and should be told. And I want people to walk away from this text realizing that, yo, there are places in our lives where we fail and we need to be honest about that. There are places in our lives where we're terrible. We need to be honest about that. But there are also places in our lives where we have been courageous in ways that we have never believed before. And that story, that courageous, vulnerable, rigorous, beautiful, ugly, messy, loving, liberating, sacred, holy story is worth telling again and again and again and again. For certain, for certain. Well, I think you accomplished those things. So, uh, so congratulations. Um, and I know you're in the throes of you know, introducing a new book, but is it too early for you to talk about anything in the future? Uh, it might be a little too early, you know, because because in some sense, like, you know, it ain't really. I mean, I mean, of course, I got I'm, I'm working on book number two uh, mentally uh, or, or whatnot. I have like a concept, you know. I got a name and a chapter outline and things like that. Um, so I'm looking at that right. So, so maybe um, you could tell folks where they should go find the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go on my website, DanteCStewart.com. You can go to Penguin's uh, page, to the book page on Penguin. Um, but it's pretty much, it should be, hopefully, Lord willing, everywhere. Uh, books are sold. Uh, go to your local Barnes & Noble uh, or your local independent bookstore. Definitely support, wherever you are at, definitely support your local independent bookstore. <laughs> and if they don't have my book in there, go in there and ask them. I want to ask for it. <laughs> you know, go in there and you order it from there, you know, so they can know about it. You know, uh, uh, we, we really we really cherish 
you know, local independent bookstores around here. And uh, I, I, I think that'd be dope. That'd help me out. That'd help you out. That'd help the bookstore out. You know, we're all in here to help one another uh, or whatnot. So, sure. yeah. Well, good. Well, Dante, congratulations again on this uh, new book. I mean, it's a fine piece of work. I think it's going to do incredibly well. And, um, you know, best wishes with the rest of the launch and everything from there. Uh, thank you, Brother Brian. It's been great with you, brother. All right. Thanks so much. Michelle.